Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. Hello, everybody. It is Todd Duncan, and we're coming at you with another podcast. This is where success happens. And I'm going to start this one off by telling you success happens all around the world. You know, the success principles are as powerful in another country as they are in this country and vice versa. It is my pleasure to welcome uh, Ross Lacane to our podcast today. Ross is coming to us from Sydney, Australia. And uh, he is one of the best mortgage brokers in the history of mortgage brokers. And uh, Ross, good to have you with us today. I'm excited about our time together. Oh, I'm excited to be here to, to get to speak to you, Todd, such a legend of the industry. It's, uh, it's great. It's so fun, so fun. So you had a 17 year run as a top broker. I think just as a backstory, I'll tell everybody that that Ross is a billion dollar broker. That means he has a billion dollars in mortgage loans that he has successfully funded. Um, he's got a, a, a book of business that is like his own servicing portfolio, which is how they kind of do it in Australia. And uh, his office, one of the top award offices ever in the country, years and years in the, you know, back to back, back to back, back to back. And, uh, and, you know, and, and he's a guy that, that decided at this stage of his career that he's done mortgages, he's done them well, he's done a lot of them, and, uh, and he wants to help people win. And so he founded Ross Lacane Coaching, and he is helping mortgage brokers and professionals in Australia live their best life and their best business. And so uh, it's going to be an exciting conversation. Uh, Ross and I have known each other for, for a while. Back in the day, he started reading some of the articles that we were producing when we started the, the Duncan Group. And uh, it is just, uh, it's so cool to be able to have this time. I think we've been talking about doing this for a while, haven't we? Oh, we have. I mean, when you come to Sydney, it's always great to catch up. And finally, we get to sort of dive down deep and uh, pull the layers of the onion off as it I is. Love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So why don't we start off and just give everybody kind of who is Ross Lacane? Who are you and, and what is your story? Okay. So a bit of backstory. So got into finance through credit union straight out of school. Um, so got my sort of grounding in finance that way. I thought I was going to become a physical education teacher after traveling to the States. I went to North Carolina and um, came and, and did university for one year and did really well in that and high distinction average. But uh, in the holidays, I decided to go and work for a company uh, called Wizard Home Loans. And um, at the time, because I had my finance background, I did really, really well and performed um, well, so they promoted me to training and recruiting mortgage brokers back in that time. So, um, and it was more money than I'd ever earn as actually being a teacher. So uh, I would have done university for three years and worked for four years to get a similar salary to what they'd offered me to go and recruit and train mortgage brokers. But at the time, and I loved that job and uh, it was one of my favourite jobs but I, I felt a little bit fake I didn't feel authentic because I hadn't been out there and been a top broker you know so fast forward the the uh, couple of years the opportunity came to go into the the franchise in Parramatta 
and uh, I just recruited my brother into the business six months earlier. So, um, you know, as a young sort of 27-year-old at the time, going to one of their flagship stores, they were a bit nervous. So they said, oh, we'll put you on a three-month trial and you can go in. <laughs> in uh, and so in our first month of business, we wrote $10 million worth of mortgages. Um, it was in a boom time in, in Sydney. And um, so, you know, we hit the ground running. And so from then, the trial period was over and sort of we went from there. So, but we had our tough times. We went, you know, the market peaked and then it flattened. And then, you know, we, we had our ups and downs for those first um, years, I guess, when we really sort of took off in our business was when we went from Wizard to Aussie, which was about um, six years later during the GFC. And, uh, you know, talk about a time to, you know, make hay when the sun shines. But obviously there was catastrophe going on in the marketplace, but we saw the opportunity. Um, you know, GE, who'd owned uh, Wizard at that point in time, were exiting the market and a lot of our customers rates were one percent above where they were so you know a lot of people were kicking you know kicking the dust and you know down in the dumps that wizard was coming to an end where we saw a real opportunity and really upscaled got telemarketers created a big team and um started refinancing our customers to the tune of around about you know 40 million dollars a month um, during that GFC time. So that was really what allowed us to see what doing big volumes were and having a team. And that really set us up for our future success. Yeah. Wow. What a story. And I think, you know, just the, the, the timing and, uh, and even the, the Aussie story about how <clears throat> it supported, um, you know, a whole kind of marketing angle of taking care of the, the consumer. And um, I think it's important maybe uh, uh, to, to jump off real quick. And, you know, years ago after the GFC, uh, America kind of reorganized ethically and, and from a compliance standpoint under the CFPB, which I think is um, a little bit equivalent to the Royal Commission. What, what have brokers had to go through in the last couple of years um, in Australia with regard to adjusting their thinking and what role has has the Royal Commission come into play? How did all the dust settle on that? And then let's get into how you built a billion-dollar franchise. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the Royal Commission, it was a, a inquiry into the banking system. But what ended up happening was interesting is that mortgage brokers wore the brunt of the inquiry and, uh, you know, a, a big part of our income stream was at risk, which was the trailing commission, as as you mentioned here in Australia. We get an ongoing commission on our um, book of business, and this was come at risk. So it really put in scrutiny, you know, how mortgage brokers earn their income, and you know whether they deserve that ongoing commission. But it also put a lot more scrutiny on the banks in terms of you know, what is a suitable loan? So for a broker, it's added a lot more compliance and a lot more documentation to the process. So probably similar to what you went through the in the in the States, you know, to do a loan, there's suddenly a lot more work involved to get that same loan approved. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet the dust has settled and, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a new day and we've got, you know, other issues to deal with, like a, a global pandemic and, and low interest rates and, and all things that go along with that. So I want to I want to peel back to 2015. We were we were in uh, in uh, in Brisbane and, and you and I were having a quick conversation and you had sent me a text about how many clients you had in your book. And I think it was like close to 5000 clients that were actually in the book. And I think a lot of people, no matter where they do loans, Australia, Canada, Italy, it doesn't matter. You know, you have had throughout your career um, a real strategy around customer preservation and, and, you know, nurturing uh, that database. And, and what were some of the turning points you had as a broker that changed your thinking around the value of a customer? Uh, I think it's around, you know, for me, I got a lot of business through property investment clients and people creating wealth through property. Um, so there's a number of things with a property investor client is in terms of they transact more often and uh, it's around about helping your client to have the best life possible, which is creating wealth. So I guess it changes the type of conversation that you have from a transactional conversation to more around what their life and personal goals are, which, you know, adds that deep value. So you're, not, you're no longer competing on rate and price, and it's not about that. It becomes about the value that you can add to a client as a mortgage consultant, as a broker, and it's a totally different conversation. It's a deeper conversation on a much, you know, a much better level. So when you, yeah, so so was that natural for you um, to to recognize the the relationship piece versus just the kind of the price piece? Um, I, I still feel that in the world that there is a, a tremendous opportunity for particularly us in the in the finance business and more specifically real estate finance. I think there's a tremendous opportunity to develop deeper relationships with your clients. How, how, how does somebody under your advice start to get comfortable with how to do that? Or what were some of the lessons you learned early on, you know, to, to increase the level of value that you would offer? How did the dialogues change? I mean, talk through that a little bit. So to me, a, a big part of that initial focus is, is not on the transaction. It's the why. And I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek to start yeah. with why. And, you know, I think once you do that and once you have that key focus, if I'm you know, sitting in front of you, Todd, and you're, you're coming into my office or we're, we're doing it you know, via Zoom, that we want to understand the reasons why. And, you know, in the last thing that, that people want is a big debt. The, the motivating factors is not the loan at the end of the day. So we've got to peel back and really get to that sort of the emotional reasons why people are doing what they're doing. So whether it's a, it's a home, it's something for them and their family and for their kids to grow. So we want to understand the reasons why, whether it's um, property investing, it, it's not about the investment properties it's around about that financial freedom or the income in retirement to do the things that 
uh, uh, you know, that they're going to have to enjoy their life. So as soon as we focus on those things, because people buy emotionally, they don't buy logically. So to deepen that relationship, we have to connect on that level, on that deeper level. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think, uh, I think um, it's kind of interesting, you know, we, we know, I mean, you know, and I know, and, and many people listening and, and or watching the podcast know that um, a decision ultimately has to be made between whether or not you're going to build your business on number of loans you do and transactions you're involved in, or are you going to build your business on relationships that matter and particularly then begin to segment those relationships to you know, who has the greatest influence that you have helped the most that can help you the most, whether it's repeat purchases for multiple properties or whether it's centers of influence that they they run in and and they've got, you know, they've got friends that that would value the same kind of selling proposition, which is really not selling at all. But that advice proposition that, that you talk so clearly about, um, why why do you think and, and plus you've coached a lot of people, why do you think? so many people don't understand this and, and pursue success through transaction after transaction after transaction. I, I think, it, it, you know, what I find is, you know, with mortgages, it's such a busy, chaotic type of business that people, I don't think, you know, stop enough to take that helicopter view and that, you know, five-year sort of vision in terms of what sort of business do I want to create? And you, you mentioned those centers, centers of influence and, um, you know, whether you call them referral partners or, or big clients. But if you look at, you know, and quite often I give that example, if you've got one really good referral partner that sends you two loans per week, you know, we're talking about, you know, a half a million dollar a year relationship with that person right so but people focus on going after the ones and twos and they don't think about well if I just focus on building these relationships with these centers of influence and I know you know going to your trainings Todd you're big on that in terms of you know it's there's the 80 20 rule but then there's the 80 20 of the 80 20 right so it's that top four percent of clients that, that give you, you know, 65% of your business, but people don't take that helicopter view and think strategically about, well, how am I going to grow my business in that fashion? They just, you know, um, I was speaking to one of the aggregators here yesterday and he was saying, you know, they run lots of time management um, trainings, but, you know, quite often people are stuck on their laptops during the time management training <laughs> in their emails, right? So, it's, it just goes to show the nature of this industry that we're in, the fact that there is so many moving pieces that people don't take that helicopter view. Yeah. Now, I think this is huge for, again, you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful for our friendship. And it's just, uh, it's so cool to think that I'm in Newport Beach, California, and you're in Sydney, and we're having this conversation. And it is 100% a mirror to what is happening in America. And, and so it doesn't matter, again, it doesn't matter what market you're in. If you're watching this or listening to this, it matters how you're in that market. And it matters, are you gonna choose chaos, which could be a lot of loans from a lot of people, or are you gonna choose this kind of certainty and serenity, not that, that doing loans becomes like this 
simple, easy process. It should, and you should have people on your team to help you with that. But it is so much easier to have a hundred people give you 10 than it is a thousand people to give you one. It's, it's just like, to me, it's like the biggest no brainer in the history of making a decision. And I don't know why, oh, people, I don't know why people don't do it. Oh, exactly. I mean, you said to me, from your point of view, your data, your database is gold and sort of understanding that and understanding, you know, taking the time to understand, well, who is my top 20%? And of that 20%, who's the top 20%? I mean, you know, if you were to ask the, the people that you're coaching, who would have stepped back and actually done that analysis? Yeah, not, not, not <laughs> enough. And that's why we're having the conversation. Um, I love this. So here's something I want to throw at you. And um, I, I want to say to anybody in North America, um, and, and maybe a little bit of, of difference in, in North America, Canada versus the US and Australia, is that um, in the US, the one of the traditional markets for brokers and, and mortgage originators has been realtor referral partners. And in America, the real estate agents can work with a buyer and they can work with a seller or they can have two agents working with a buyer or seller. And it's different in Australia because you have a different acquisition process through real estate. Mm -hmm. um, there's not mm -hmm. such a thing as a buyer, buyer's agent and it's it's done differently. You have made most of your money by, I think, working with other types of partners. You still call them referral partners, but not real estate agents. What's the mindset from, from your vantage point as a billion dollar broker <clears throat> working with um, people of influence that, that want to build wealth and how similar is is that? Because I know you've you've worked with developers and and probably syndicators and and probably real estate agents, but how how similar is it to simply work with a different type of professional that has influence that might be in charge of an investment group, might be a property investor, might be a, a builder or a developer? Is there any real radical difference between the two? Um, obviously, it, your client is at the, the center of the transaction. And, you know, through the transaction, they've got a number of people that just naturally that they need to associate with, whether it be a buyer's agent, you know, buying an investment property, whether it be an accountant. You know, my accountant was probably my best client. We wow. talk a similar language. I mean, he had 70-odd investment properties and he was he was a gun. He was the go-to. But we're singing off the same song sheet, right? We're, what we're saying is what he's saying. And so that team mentality. And so in if people are looking at investing, they need an accountant. They need someone to give that good quality advice. Same, you know, a big source of business in Australia is there's, you know, millions of small business owners and small business owners will tr transact in finance more often. So they will have, you call it a CPA, they will have a CPA in terms of, so everyone has these people within their network already. So it's a matter of understanding from your customers and then you don't have to cold call. You'll get a warm introduction to these people. And so you'll come across referral partners just by doing what you're doing and doing it well. 
And then you'll earn the right to get that introduction from your clients because your clients, again, they have their own networks and it's a matter of finding the relationships that work for you. So it's no different with a real estate agent relationship. Yeah, to at the end of the day, it's that connection with people who are servicing clients that um, that have things in common with you. Yeah, no, it's it's really huge. It's so it's so huge to understand that the people that that know you and love you and trust you have their own networks, and and I think that that goes over the head of so many people that are in the lending business worldwide. They just don't understand that this person that I'm having this conversation with right now, the importance of this relationship is I have to do him or her or them right. And in doing so, then they might open the door to access for whoever their professional advisor team is or their high trust team or their you know, other advisors, and you could have the same argument for those small business owners that have, you know, legitimate legal documents or, or wills and trusts. And you could have the same argument with those small business owners that need property and casualty insurance, and they've got an insurance agent. And you can just go crazy on this, can't you? I mean, it's, it's why ever make a cold call again in your life? Oh, exactly. It's um, <laughs> exactly. And you, you've got people... Um, some of my best clients are connected, you know, so broad, you know, you know, the guys from the advisor and they run smart property investment podcasts that I've presented on and, you know, he has 70 or 80 staff members. So you, you think from that one person, the level of business that you get from those people in authority and it's about, well, how can I tap into to these people with these networks um you know i think you call them the whales right how how do we how do we go after the whales rather than chasing the minnows you know we've got a guy in in dallas texas that uh that we work with and he has he is really i think probably 12 months of absolute focus on what you and i are talking about right now and one year ago he had approximately 1500 buyers in his database that he would connect with and market to And he got so clear on what you and I are talking about that right now, just one year later, he is 1,000 clients away from 10,000 clients in a book of business in 12 months. And it would be a CPA that knew 1,000 people. It would be four insurance agents that each had a, uh, a database of 500 clients that are paying premiums. And it's just like, are you kidding that in a year you can change your business philosophy and you can look to every human being that you have a uh, an interaction with and you add value to getting back to your whole idea on advice instead of price. And anybody watching this podcast could scale their business by at least 100% in a year if you just focus on here's a person that knows the person I need to know. And you did it. I mean, you, you did so well at this that you're effectively retired from the mortgage business and you're now doing something else that's purposeful, which is helping the very people you were win. And I think it's just, this is a deep conversation. I love this. I love this. It's just evident. It's just evident. Oh, definitely. And the the power in that, Todd, is you're creating a team, you know? So in terms of, and obviously the people's wealth and people's financial future um, you can have a massive effect on by doing the research for them, 
creating a fantastic team, whether it be a CPA, a, you know, a buyer's agent, a, a good attorney or solicitor. And so you're creating those circles of influences for your clients. And you're almost building a fence around them, right? So if they go to the CPA, oh, send it, send them back to Todd. If they go to the attorney, send them back to Todd. So it's got a, another power. Not only is it a great source of business, but it's it's reinforcing and giving you so much feedback about your business. If one of your staff members off, you'll know about it pretty quickly, right? You'll yeah. you'll get that because you're getting um, you're getting the feedback from from your team. Yeah. Yeah. So let's switch gears. And um, that was a really great dialogue. Um, I don't think you can be at the level you are at and we're at obviously in the loan business without having a team. And um, I think that still uh, on a global kind of landscape, too many people are trying to do too much. I just had a a conversation with uh, uh, three or four of our our faculty and and they were saying that you know that that what they're still hearing right now is I'm too busy I'm too busy I'm too busy and when you deep dive you find out that you know they're busy doing a whole bunch of things getting back to your 8020 thing that just don't work they don't pay the bills they're not even sometimes in their gifted zone so Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you and your brother open this franchise and and you scale and <clears throat> you build this this great team. You win all these awards. You've got the best. I think you had the best office franchise. It looks like three out of four years in the entire country. I think for five years, Parramatta, the Parramatta franchise was ranked number one in Australia. So you're obviously you obviously learned some lessons and did some things right from a, a team standpoint and a service standpoint. Tell us how a billion-dollar broker thinks in terms of team. It's around, you know, looking at your team as an investment and creating that culture where you every day you show up saying, how can I serve? Because, you know, doing the volumes of loans that we were doing, it can feel sometimes it can feel like a sausage factory for your staff because, they're, they're processing, there's high volumes, it's high pressure, obviously a deadline-driven business. So, you know, every day in our 10-minute huddles, it's about, well, what were the wins? And, you know, then at the end of the meeting, we're saying, how can you go and serve? So focusing it back to the client's whys and that we're actually making people feel special and we're doing a job that's really, really important. I think that's really important from one, from a culture point of view. Secondly, it's seeing, you know, and again, I'm a property investor. I come from that point of leverage. What I find with a lot of brokers is they don't see bringing another staff person on as an investment. They, they see it as a cost. Yeah. Um, and, and I always give the example, you know, I always had someone tracking my loans, um, from approval to, to settlement, but I never had anyone in the front end doing more of the qualification piece. But I decided, you know, I was getting busy at this stage, so I was going to bring somebody on, and I brought her on three days a week to start with. But, you know, for that $2,500 investment at the time per month, it led within a month and a half to 
extra settlements of 1.5 mil, which was 7,500 in upfront commission. So if I was to put that money in the bank and get a 300% return in three months, would you do it, Todd? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like it's a no-brainer. If you were putting money in a bank and getting a 300% return, you'd do it every day. Whereas, you know, brokers don't think about it that way. They don't think that, hey, I'm bringing someone on is an investment. It's going to free up my time so I can focus on those dollar productive activities. And if I had an extra 20 hours a week to focus on dollar productive activities, what could I get as my return on investment? And I think that is key for, and in Australia, we have a lot of what we call one-man bands, which is, you know, just one-person brokers. Um, and I'm sure it's the same in, in the States. But, you know, obviously that as you go on in the different levels of business, you need to look at, well, well who do I need in my business? And as you grow a mortgage-broking business, you grow to the point where you break your systems and processes you're not providing the level of service anymore that you need to and that obviously you know if you can do it before you get to that point but quite often you know that's what i find with our business and with the business that i'm coaching they they break their own systems due to volume and then they need to plug the gaps in terms of with people to to be able to do that so i think you know that's the key thing really focus on that co um, culture of serving and see your team as an investment um, and invest ahead of growth. I, I okay. So, so I want to unpack invest ahead of growth because I think that's another piece. So, there's two issues. One is, um, do I see my business as the highest ROI asset I have in my life? And I, I don't think people fully understand the 300% when we talk about it like this. Um, they don't understand that, you know, you can grow your volume and, and earn 50% or 100% more. And you can't do that in the stock market. You can't do that in the investment market. You can't even do it in the property market. I mean, the best returns on investment are going to be when you start to realize that my business can scale only to the level at which I have invested staff, right? And so I try to get people to think about, like if you spend an hour doing something that might cost you $50 to pay somebody to do that really well, and you can go out and get another loan, same thing you just said about, and that loan pays you $2,500. What is the ROI on a $50 investment if you're going to make $2,500? And I think that people just still today don't, don't recognize that relationship. Because isn't it true, Ross, that you would not be a billion dollar broker if you did not believe in, in, in investing in team. Oh, definitely. And I think being a property investor and starting to invest in property, you get in, you start to understand investment better and you, you yeah. understand, you know, as mortgage professionals, whether you like it or not, we're in the business of leverage. You don't see too many first home buyers paying cash, right? We are the, the biz, in the business of leverage, but you do see the equivalent of first home buyers paying cash in a mortgage broking business where people are trying to do everything themselves um, rather than you know that leverage of investing in, in staff. And you mentioned unpacking the investment ahead of growth. Yeah. And there, 
you know, quite often you will need to invest and it might take you six or sometimes 12 months before you see a return on that investment, especially if you're getting someone that needs to be, you know, like another broker or something that needs to go through the process of being trained and then, um, you know, you, you really need to put the time in to train and develop, which means you might not see a return on that person for, say, six to 12 months. Yeah. One of the things that, that we talk about um, often in like the academy is, is the best time um, to hire capacity is before you actually need it. And I think what you're saying about invest, invest ahead of growth is if you don't have as a broker, some level of confidence that you have more capacity than you have volume, it's much easier to grow the volume into that capacity than it is to not do that and start to turn away volume because you don't have capacity. And at the end of the day, it's one of those choices, right, Ross? Oh, exactly. And I, you know, it pains me when I speak to a number of brokers and they're like, I, you know, I, I physically am turning away business because I, I can't do any more. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's quite common. And, you know, people are turning away business, whether they know it or not, because it's around, you know, we, we've spoken before around speed to contact. And it might be that they're just focused on something else and they're not getting onto that client as quickly as possible, which means they've lost it and, and maybe lost it to, to somebody that's not as experienced as themselves. That is crazy, man. And there, isn't there a lot of personal peace of mind when you when you wake up and you you in your case own a franchise and you know that your day is comprised of the things you love to do and that you're good at? Oh, definitely. It, it, definitely. You know, that talking to people, this is a relationship game. Yep. You know, that's where the enjoyment, you and I um, spoke previously around, everything's about that connection, especially in these times of COVID. It's so, that's what gives you the joy and that's is the connection with people and building those relationships. And to be able to do that day in, day out as a broker, that's the pinnacle. Oh, amen. Amen. So we got about five minutes to go. This has been so rich in conversation. I, I have two questions. One is, if you could summarize into one word the mindset of a billion-dollar broker, what is that word? The first thing that comes to mind is growth. Um, and there's growth on a number of different levels. So I think uh, the first is that personal growth. Yeah. If your business wants to grow, you need to, to grow. And for me, that's been a constant throughout my life and even today, and that's part of the attraction of coaching is you've got to continue to be better. You've, yeah. you've got to continue. And, you know, for brokers in Australia, you know, it's the growth of that loan book, you know, if because they get an ongoing commission based on the growth of their book, if they grow their business by 15% a year, you know, the difference in their book come year 10 and 15 is absolutely massive, right? But people, um, and I don't know if it's the same in the States because, you know, whilst you're not getting paid for that ongoing book, but even growth in customers of 10 to 15%, you know, you think about that once you get to year 10 and 15, the number of customers on your book 
and the ability to do the the refinances is absolutely massive but if nothing changes nothing changes so as a top broker you constantly have to be thinking about well how can i just get that little bit more every year in my business how can i grow by that 10 15 percent um every year so you've got to have that growth mindset and it's a decision todd yeah yeah. And you know, what's so fascinating about what you just said is you think about 15% a year and that is, what is it? One, 1.15% a month. And you start to really kind of dumb that down to what does that mean per day? I mean, everybody should be able to grow their business by 10, 15, 20% a year, just by thinking nothing changes till something changes. So this month I'm going to do this and it's going to take three months for that to really catch. And then I'm going to do this for three months. And when you take that out over a decade, you're looking at being able to, to really experience true wealth personally and intellectually as a broker. And I don't think people realize that. And even though in the States, you don't have a trail commission on your database, you have every bit the incentive to do their refinances, to do their next purchase, to do their investment property. And people still miss it because they're not thinking growth. It's just Mm. absurd. Mm. Yeah. 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 So let's ask you um, uh, two more questions. One, um, give us in a couple of minutes your perspective on failure. Failure is a natural course of doing business. Um, If you want to be prepared to be great at something, you've got to be prepared to fail. And uh, when you start doing something and you start making those changes, you're going to fail. It's going to feel, you know, I read something the other day, it's like a mild form of torture, those initial changes, you know, but you've got to understand that, hey, change is going to mean this. I'm going to go through these questions. I'm going to go through these doubts, the fears. It's normal, right? It's just part of growth. It's part of that change. And so I think, you know, that question of failing and, you know, you, you say it all the time, how do you fail forward in your business? Because if you're not prepared to make changes and, you know, go through that failure, you're not going to get to, you know, the, the highest levels in your business, that's for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. You think about, you know, you think about light and dark and you think about hot and cold and you think about winning and losing. Neither one of those possibilities in those three examples are possible without the other also being possible. And I think the, the idea behind failure and success, hot and cold, dark and light, the idea is there's you can't succeed without failure. I mean, at, at some level, every single thing that we become has to do with what we are not. And we have to go through the transition of understanding that <clears throat> if I don't have a great attitude towards just the speed bumps that lead to the ultimate reason. I mean, there's no there's there's not a lot of reasons why people get into a fully straight commission business if they're not interested in, at least in making revenue, right? And making money. There's there's a lot of either, other ways to, to earn revenue if you're not interested in a straight commission job. But there there is no success until the skill becomes implemented at such a level that you have moved from apprentice to master. And sometimes those skills, like interviewing skills, right? And, and understanding how to figure out somebody's why. You don't go to a seminar and then on a Monday do that well. It takes a lot of learning. So I was just interested to to do the amount of volume you've done. You no doubt have had a lot of 
missteps and speed bumps, but you use them as positivity to grow, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And it's, um, again, that's how you grow. You know, you grow by failing and you, you, you recreate a system because it's broken, you know, like it, it's that evolution over time uh, that gets you to where you are today. Just one you know, comment that I heard that was really valuable and a, a question, you know, for, for the viewers is, you know, are you playing to win or are you playing not to fail? And I think a lot of people are playing not to fail. Yeah. You know, they don't put themselves out there on video. You know, they're, they're, they're scared of some, what someone might think of saying, well, yeah, I could actually show up and win here, you know. So it's uh, that negative negative bias and uh, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use um, what you said in the first part of our podcast as my closing question. So what is Ross LeCain's why? It's to serve. It's to to give back. It's to that's you know. Again, I travelled the world as you know, and um, you know one of the things I, I was lucky enough to see the Dalai Lama, and one of the the things that I got from his training is that everyone wants to be happy, right? And so our role in life, our happiness comes from serving other people, and you know, as mortgage brokers, we get to do that on on a daily basis. So it's you know, it's it's really to serve. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, this has been an exciting 40, uh, 42 minutes or so, Ross. Thank you for piping in from uh, from Australia and sharing your wisdom. I, I think that you have a, a massive message for people that want to be their best version of themselves. And it's been delightful to have this, uh, this convo with you. And I'm sure everybody can find you on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. It's your name and then coach. I guess. And uh, so anybody that wants to, to connect with Ross, feel free to do that. And uh, thank you, my friend. It's always good to hear your voice. It's always great to see you. And uh, this was masterful. Oh, look, I'm so grateful for you, Todd. As I say, I've been following you for the last 20 years. And to do something like this is a real honor. And uh, yeah, really, really great to, to be sharing. Awesome. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, thanks everybody for listening to uh, Where Success Happens, our podcast. And uh, this is a good one. This, this, this is worth watching, you know, at least 10 times. And uh, <laughs> see you until the next one. Thanks, Ross. Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I am super excited about Sales Mastery 2020, the live digital experience. This is the first time in the 28 year history of Sales Mastery that we've actually gone entirely digital, responding to the market, and we're gonna be broadcasting the event live. What does this mean for you? Well, first of all, front row access. Yes, front row access to the longest running event and most extensive training event in the industry, bar none, and 30 days of access to every session after the event has concluded. No airfare, no hotel reservations, no extra expenses, just cutting edge content from world-class speakers, trainers, and industry experts delivered straight to you in the comfort of your own office or home. Click the link in the show notes and check out the speakers, panels, and agenda. Over 10,000 attendees have already registered. Secure your spot today.